Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hello, and welcome back, or welcome for the first time to ADHD's Over, our podcast. This podcast and this conversation around this so-called mental disorder is not your typical conversation. So if you're here to look for tips or strategies to cope with a disorder, and you do believe that ADHD is quote-unquote real, like a scientifically proven biochemical imbalance and so forth. If you're on that side, this is not a podcast for you. However, if you're open to have your perspective shifted and to listen to a completely undervalued set of experts, authors, speakers, and so forth, that all do believe that, yes, the symptoms, the struggles are real, but the real causes of ADHD are not acknowledged, that we are pathologizing, that we are over-medicating and so forth. If that is in your gut feeling to be found, you have come to the right podcast. You continue to uh, pay your valuable attention to us. I guarantee you perhaps a perspective shift, some amazing insights from experts or ourselves that will uh, contribute to your family thriving. If this is not you, no hard feelings. This is not for everyone. Um, Don't waste your time. You know, go listen to the camp that you support. And we respect that. We really worked hard on not judging that. That is, everyone's at where they're at. Sometimes I still get triggered, you know. I'm human. But for the most part, I'm really, really, really committed that you find whatever helps your family thrive. That's why we're here. Quick thank you to our support partner, Boku Superfoods. Boku is B-O-K-U. BokuSuperfood.com is their website. They're amazing people here locally in Ojai who believe in what we're doing, um, who themselves have used, in their case, nutrition and a loving home to make their family thrive. And they carry some of the most powerful superfoods Go online at bokusuperfood.com. There's proteins, there's superfoods, tinctures, creams, sprays, you name it. They got it all for your body, for your mind to thrive. Bokusuperfood.com. Thank you guys. Love you guys. Let's move on. Where have all the normal children gone? Really? You know, I recently heard a term called no child left different. Obviously, they're borrowing from this no child left behind saying, um, but no child left different would be like saying all children have been normalized. Well, you know, if you look at the uh, original definition of the word normal, right? Type into sin as we speak. It's not something I look up every day. It's conforming to a standard usual, typical, 
or expect it, right? So when we say, where have all the normal children gone? We're using it not in the, in the same way, not in the sense of what nowadays is called a norm, right? Conforming to a standard. We're using it literally like, hey, it's normal to be different. It's normal for kids to, you know, want to run around, let out, let off steam, right? Follow their interests and so forth. That used to be called normal up until somewhere. I mean, we can go further back, but let's just say maybe around the 50s where these symptoms started showing up or kids started to get labeled as troublemakers as non-conforming to educational or parental standards, therefore, they weren't normal anymore. Normal, you know, took on a new meaning. So when we say, well, where have all the normal children gone? That's what we're referring to. What happened to just letting kids be kids and unfold and be there to guide them? And of course, in extreme cases, whenever there's therapy or medication needed, of course, you're not going to let them die. You're not going to let them completely wither, wither away. But those are the rare cases. But we're certainly treating our kids like, you know, you're rare nowadays if you don't have a mental disorder. If you are a child that's doing well and you're quote unquote normal, you know, most likely that child is not going to be unique and different. They're just going to be conforming to a standard, which is what normal, the definition of normal is. So, what sparked this episode was a, an email that uh, I got a few days ago from one of our collaborators, an ADHD caller activist. She's been dealing with this for 30 years. She had her own son who was diagnosed and, and labeled and medicated, and they didn't know better, and later had some major health implications. You can listen to an episode called Saving Andy, or Andy turned out as well, those two will give you a good idea on who we're talking about. So for now, let's call her Sue because it's Sue. <laughs> and Sue had sent me a list of um, books that are out there, and I'm just going to read a few um, so that you hear what's really happening in, in our popular mind, in our society, of the sort of self-help books that are out there for children. So let's start with the, vir the virtual child, the terrifying truth about what technology is doing to children, right? Probably worth a read. The angry child, the bipolar child, the highly sensitive child, the challenging child, the strong-willed child, the whole brain child, the hurried child, the defiant child, the misunderstood child, the spirited child, the out-of-sync child, the explosive child, the silenced child, the ADHD child, and so forth. There is way more. There are way more books that literally start with the and end with child. And I think in the end, if we're done, you know, with all that, if we look at all the thousands of books that have been written about the fill-in-the-blank child, I think we have realized that, oh, I guess there's thousands of different types of children. One's more spirited, one's more out of sync, one's explosive, one's silent, you know, you name it. And to me, when I hear that, I go, well, that's because children are all different. 
if we let them be who they are, if there was, say, you know, 500 million children on the planet, then we would have 500 million different books to write. You know, I would hope that if I wrote a book on my son's life, that it would be different from the book that you're writing on your child's life. Now, if we were to make them normal, the idea is that in the end, that it's the same book that could be written about my child and your child. Because think about it. If we say that children, you know, need to be a certain way and they go to school and they don't behave, they don't learn and they don't get good grades, parents get scared, the child gets tested and diagnosed with a mental disorder or two or three or five, four, six, you name it. In our case, it was six disorders that were, were basically, you know, given to us from, a, from Kai's test. So if we do that and then decide to go with medication and then the grades improve in the short term and the child is more obedient and quiet and gets his good, her good grades and, you know, home life feels a little bit more stable, then that's a story that we could write about many children today. Sure, there's nuances, but the story, the unfolding of events is the same. And that would be if we're interested in calling that normal, that these kids are now, due to taking the same path, right, are now, quote unquote, normal, which means they're confirming with or adhering to or con constituting a norm, standard, right? If that's what we're interested in, we're on the right path. Problem is, I don't think that's what we're really interested in. That's not something I'm interested in for my children. That's not something I'm interested in for even your children or the children of our world. And I'll tell you why. The moment we start to treat our children like they're broken and they're no longer unique. They're just too much of this or that. And they need to be medicated because, well, they're not all getting the same grades. Everybody should get the same high grades, right? If we sort of buy into that normalization, we're soon going to have a really boring society. And a really troubled one for that matter, because in order to keep most of those kids in, in the ADHD case, mostly boys, not, not that girls are left out, not at all, but that's what we're focusing on. We have two boys and the majority of children diagnosed with ADHD happen to be boys. So if we're doing that in order to normalize those boys, we will need some kind of obedience tool. And supposedly, based on our friend Ned Hallowell, who wrote recently co-wrote ADHD 2.0, um, according to Ned and his, um, his co-writer, I'm blanking right now, John Ratty, that's right. According to these guys, these experts, you get the most bang for your buck with medication. That is literally their words from the audiobook I started listening to. 
If that's the case, if we get the most bang for our buck, if when a parent hears that, by the way, Mr. Hallowell and Ratty, doubt you'll ever hear this podcast because most experts on the other side are not willing to have a conversation. But if they heard this, I hope you listen to these words, that this is what you put out there in an audiobook for parents that you get the most bang for your buck with stimulant medication. Now, look, I get where you're coming from. I get where they're coming from. Here's the problem. When parents hear that, that, in this case, medication, that tool immediately jumps to the top of the list of effective obedience tool. Because let's face it, when we need our kids to do homework, sit down, do the work, pay attention at school, get good grades, don't keep the household crazy, that is, you could call the opposite of obedience. Like we need obedience for them to do that, right? Well, I should say, just as a little side note, we actually don't. That's a, that's a parenting nuance that I'm not going to get into here. But for most parents, that's what that means. And when they hear the biggest bang for your buck is medication, that is what parents will reach, will reach for. Because it's available. It's not that expensive. I mean, most insurance companies pay for it. That's available. It allows the parents to go back to their busy, stressful jobs and careers. And grades get better. Everybody seems to be more satisfied, less irritated, right? Less friction. So I get that part. But by putting it out there like uh, Mr. Hallowell and Ratty did in their new book, ADHD 2.0, which I actually think should be called ADHD still 1.0 because nothing's changed. Uh, There's a few more studies that they mention and a few more approaches, but in terms of the core of the message of the book, really nothing changed. I'm sorry, but this a lot of rehashing of old, uh, what I call claims or myths by the pathologizing, medicating, labeling kind of side, which they have every right to do. And they do have a lot of studies because there's a lot of funding. I don't want to get into that either because that is a rabbit hole we're not committed to exploring, but that is a fact. You can look that up. So back to parents using that as an obedience tool and suddenly we have a psychosuppressive, like a stimulant drug, Schedule II force, right? That's not a secret either. You look it up uh, on the government website, DEA, uh, where Ritalin and Adderall land is a Schedule II, right along with uh, cocaine, uh, meth, and so forth. You can look that up. Um, It's refreshing to see that, by the way. If you don't believe it, look it up. Anyway, um, if that happens, we now have children out in the world growing up with these stimulant drugs causing whatever they're causing in their brain. There haven't been done enough studies on this to see where this leads kids into adulthood. Now, there was one study done on Ritalin. It was a 30-year study over 700, you know, with 700 children. You've heard me say this before if this is not your first episode. Nadine Lambert did this out of Berkeley, and she actually proved the opposite of the myth. The myth is, oh, well, unmedicated children will later in life self-medicate. Well, she actually, with her study, proved that it's the opposite, that kids who are on Ritalin into their adulthood were more likely to use cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, and so forth, and get in trouble. So... 
that myth was busted. Only problem is that study got never saw the light of day because Nadine Lambert unfortunately had an accident before she was able to publish this. But if you Google it, the facts are out there. So again, what are you saying, Roman? Well, I'm saying we just we 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 don't have enough evidence from this pathologizing, medicating, labeling side to really tell parents that, oh, don't worry, everything will be fine. So what we're creating in the future by sort of steamrolling all these unique kids and, and molding them into normal kids, like trying to conform everyone to the same standard, we're essentially creating human robots. And I don't mean this in a conspiracy kind of like, oh, they're like robots. I know they're not robots, but they will become these somewhat lost, like a leaf in the wind kind of adults that don't know how to trust their own intuition, their own gut feeling, because they've been told, this is how you live, this is what you do, you are broken, and unless you use this biggest bang for the buck kind of medication, well, you will live a troubled life. And I think that is so misleading to parents. If you're listening and you're on the fence, I urge you, to listen to more of our podcasts with experts. These experts are right up there with all the other side, the, the, the experts of the other camp, the Hallowells and Barclays. When you listen to a Peter Levine talk about the overlap of trauma and ADHD, when you listen to Gabor Mate talk about how at the, the root of every mental disorder is some form of trauma, if you take them in and you give them a chance, dear parents, you are doing yourself and your child a favor, a huge favor for life. If medication in the end is still your choice, that is your choice, that is your family. As long as you know the ins and outs from both sides. And you know here, this is what's funny. So in 2002, um, Charles Barkley wrote together, I should say he spearheaded um, what's now called, uh, I'm, I'm again looking this up, it's now called the 2002, or it's referred to as the, the World Federation of ADHD Consensus Statement in 2002. It's recently been updated uh, with the 2021 um, date, and I will put those links in the show notes where you can uh, see that update. And I recently came across a rebuttal, and this is a rebuttal by over uh, 35 co-endorsers uh, led by uh, a doctor out of uh, uh, London or the UK, Sammy Timini, and um, our dear friend and collaborator is also mentioned, uh, Sue is also part of the, uh, the team here, and it's amazing how... I should say how little airtime this got. And at the same time, it did, however, steer up something in Russell Barkley, who then supposedly wrote another rebuttal of the rebuttal. Because the first line on this critique uh, by Sammy Timimi and uh, his endorsers, and by the way, Sammy Timimi just uh, confirmed that he's interested in speaking to us. I'm really excited about that. Coming soon. Uh, come back and, you know, check in with us. Uh, we promise this is going to be amazing. He wrote a critique of the international consensus statement on ADHD. This was originally written by Barclay in 2002, Barclay and team. Um, he, Sammy starts off by saying, and he co-authored this, but just saying, 
Why did a group of eminent psychiatrists and psychologists produce a consensus statement in, in 2002 that seeks to forestall debate on the merits of the widespread diagnosis and drug treatment of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? If the evidence is already that good, then no statement is needed. However, the reality is that claims about ADHD being a genuine medical disorder and psychotropics being genuine correctives have been shaken by criticism. Not only is it completely counter to the spirit and practice of science to seize questioning the validity of ADHD as proposed by the consensus statement, there is an ethical and moral responsibility to do so. After all, that's what science is. Similar things happening with COVID, but... I'm not going to get into that. History teaches us again and again that one generation's most cherished therapeutic ideas and practices, especially when applied on the powerless children, are repudiate, repudiated by the next, but not without leaving countless victims in their wake. Lack of acknowledgement of the subjective nature of our psychiatric practice leaves it wide open to abuse. For these reasons, we, another group of academics and practitioners, feel compelled to respond to the statement. So this is Sammy Tamimi and his 33 co-endorsers. And uh, it goes on and on and on. You can look this up online. I'll post some links. Um, the point here is this. The point is that the other side is not willing to engage in a discussion that might actually what I refer to as end ADHD. Now, when I say end ADHD, people get bent out of shape. I don't mean that we believe that the symptoms, especially the struggles that an individual has in his or her environment in life right now, that those aren't real. We're not saying, you know, those aren't real. Yes, those struggles, those symptoms that we see, that, we, that, that somebody deals with, they're real. What we're saying is, the disorder label and the pathologizing of often innocent children, and I'll get into what innocent means in this case, because that term's been used a lot. You know, you may say, well, a 13-year-old is not innocent. They, they, they know who they are. They, they, they can tell me they want to take the drug and so forth, right? But I'll get into that. But that movement, that industry, that machinery that seems to never never again be being able to halt or stop or come to a, a grind is that what it's called forget you know that's what needs to be reformed we're not saying that there are therapies needed for children with this so-called disorder these symptoms or these struggles and that there's in some instances medication may uh, remedy a situation for a few months and then you know you move on, we're not saying that can still be there. Thousands of psychologists, therapists who focus on ADHD, there's still work. We're not saying all of you go away, it's not real. No, never, please don't misunderstand us that way. What we're saying is it's just, it's too much. It's, it's almost like a bit like the AI behind Facebook, like it's out of control and we pretend it's not out of control. And we look at the numbers out in the world of of, uh, you know, children, medicated children who end up abusing drugs, who, who end up being dependent on these pharmaceutical drugs for life, 
who still are not thriving in life and so forth, all these studies are ignored. And we just pretend, no, it's fine. It's, it's all good. It's all good. It's all in, you know, in lieu of, of, of an amazing diploma, you know, grades that lead to the diploma, that lead to the Ivy League school and so forth. It's fine. They'll make a lot of money in the future if they put their head down now. That's happiness. Go, right? The moment we stop that, the moment we acknowledge that that's not actually leading to happiness, and yes, the monster machine is a bit out of hand, and this applies to any big industry. You can go do Facebook as a, you know, tech. You can go do pharma, cigarette, uh, you know, uh, even agriculture. Any big industry that's a machine, at some point, the machine builder or machine operator, driver, loses control if it's a powerful machine, and they are powerful machines. And this critique of the international consensus statement on ADHD by Sammy Timimi and his team really is just saying, guys, are you willing to sit down and have a discussion with us? Can we all agree that you've cherry-picked a lot of these, these scientific studies and statements and results? Can we all just sit down in the name of our children, our future, or even the adults, right? The human beings who are affected by this? Because ultimately, one thing that I'm always missing from the other side is I don't feel a commitment to ending this. You know, it's almost like, let's end cancer, let's find a cure, but then we're not. Or let's, you know, we're, we're all investing in ADHD. We'll help you cope with it and strategize and, and, and have your children thrive. But, but I don't hear, I don't feel a strong underlying commitment that these experts are truly interested in putting an end to this because they're not. Because it's their livelihood. I get it. It's, it's what they've created for 50 years in their lives, their practice, their books, their seminars. You know, a lot of them get paid by pharma. There's, there's collaborations. Studies are being funded. I get it. It's business, guys. It's not a, it's not a Dr. Evil kind of... I mean, some people think that, and I, I get why they're thinking that. I just don't look at it, at it like that anymore because that keeps it kind of, you know, big, ominous, and evil, and out of reach and stuff. No, this is a business, you know? This is, this is a business machinery, just like any other big business. So again, this critique of that international consensus from 2002, and this critique... Uh, was written a few years after, which is uh, in 2004, this critique was just a healthy stab at, at the other side to go like, okay, guys, we see what you did here. You got a bunch of experts together and bunch of cited a bunch of studies, and you're saying the debate is over. This is how it is. I'm sorry, but that's not how science works. You know when people, uh, people, I hate this statement, science is real. I see it on lawn signs right out in the yard in front of houses science is real okay so is water what the fuck the problem is what they're actually trying to say with their sign is the scientists that i believe the mainstream ones that are telling us to be scared yes that's real i believe that's real but the statement is inauthentic to say science is real. Of course, science is real. Depends where it's coming from. Depends who funded it. You know, one of my favorite sayings is 97% of scientists agree with the people who fund them. Yeah, 
I mean, that's a joke, but think about it. Are you going to disagree with the people that fund you if you're a young scientist excited about your career at a university that has such a great, great reputation and you're there, you're at the cusp of it, you're like just graduated and you got your PhD and you're like, let's do this. Well, you're probably going to find a way to agree with your funder. Most of them who disagree, they sort of disappear. And that's unfortunate. And at the same time, disclaimer again, I say, I get it. It's business. If you're going to, if you are a millionaire and you have 10 million and you give 2 million to, to some kind of research that you're interested in, of course, you're going to want to get the results that you're interested in. So you're not losing that money to somebody who goes like, yeah, it's all bullshit. I get it. But hopefully more people with a conscience and integrity will step up and say, no more bullshit, you know? And that's why I applaud uh, Sammy Tamimi and his team back then to be able to go and, and, and stand up to the other side and say, guys, uh, you know, you can't just put a gag order over this, this ADHD debate and say the debate is over. I mean, that, that, that was probably the most unprofessional, immature move they could have done. They thought it was the right thing to do. But any scientist with integrity will look at that and go, yeah, that's not really science. Yes, they're using scientific methods to, uh, you know, carry forth uh, studies and, and get to certain results, but that is not what science should be about. Or at least I think what we agreed as humans that let's find, let's continue growing, let's continue exploring, let's listen to all sides not even just both sides. There's more sides, right? But does it benefit all involved? And if these so-called experts really want ADHD, I mean, wouldn't anyone, like, come on, guys, anybody listening to this, if you could snap your finger, wouldn't you, and, and, and all mental disorders are gone from the planet, would you snap it? Fuck yeah, I would snap it. Well, I just did snap it. It's, it's over, right? And I just don't feel that commitment from the experts on the other side to really have ADHD disappear because there's too much at stake. It's a business. Anyway, I'm not going to keep harping on this. I'm sure it'll come back again in another episode as it always does or so often does. What I'm here to say today, we talked about, you know, where have all the normal children gone? And unfortunately, we have standardized and, you know, conformed a lot of our children through the use of stimulant drugs, suppressants, in order for us to have less friction at the home and at school, in order for teachers to have more peace in the classroom, in order for grades to go up, degrees to come faster, and, and the Ivy League tracks unfolding in front of our children. So I guess in a nutshell, you could say we've sold out unique and different and settled for normal. We're selling out unfolding and we're settling for molding. We're selling out a unique path and we're settling, I know this sounds weird, for the Ivy League tracks. Most of you will think, well, that's not settling. That's actually a great goal. Sure, it is if the child wants it. Most of the time, the parents want it. The excuse is, well, my children don't know what's good for them. 
My counter argument to that is we need to stop assuming that we know what's best for our children. Most of the time we don't, here's why. Not because we actually intuitively don't, because of all the bullshit trauma, the transgenerational stuff, the transgenerational autopilot parenting, APP, that we do to our children. That's what's in the way from us actually intuitively know what they need when they don't know what they need. But we just assume flat out anytime that we know better, that's got to stop. And if you're interested, there's a couple of books I definitely could recommend. Unconditional Parenting is one of my favorite. Alfie Cohn. There's another one called um, The Power of Showing Up. As a parent, showing up in your child's life. That book was written by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson, I believe. Um, those two books are currently also in my playlist and my audiobooks and Audible. And I highly recommend as parents, you dig into some of that. My wife's been busy um, doing a lot of uh, unschooling, uh, homeschooling kind of books, child-led education and so forth. And it all overlaps. It all comes down to one thing is for us to get out of the way, for us to get out of the way, which again, our three steps are change your perspective, heal your shit and honor your child. And healing your shit is the most amount of work that we will ever do as parents need to do, want to do. And the fruits of that labor, oh my God, are beautiful, tasty, juicy. Because we will allow our children to have a normal, quote unquote, childhood again. Normal meaning be different, be unique, be fully self-expressed, make mistakes, get dirty. Tell me what you are interested in so I can support you. That kind of childhood. That is how we could potentially bring back some of those normal childhoods and those norm children being different, but that being normal. The current normal that we have accepted as normal is simply conformity. And that's cookie cutter. That's not something I'm interested in. And I hope you're not either for your child because, man, they're so unique and so different and so beautiful that we must let them unfold and grow up to become the amazing human beings they are. Hey, thank you for listening. I don't take this lightly. Your attention is gold. You paid it to me if you've come this far. Please listen to or share this episode. Listen to other episodes. Share, share, share. Support the movement. It's all good. It's all good. Have an amazing, magical day in life. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.